You have made it. We are, after today, we are through with our giving, our, our message emphasis on giving. Uh, and so I know it may have, may have seemed overwhelming after six weeks, but I just believe God's going to do an awesome work uh, through this building. I believe we're going to get in debt free. Uh, North, East, and Main, all three campuses are going to be giving. They're giving theirs next week. Uh, and we're doing ours uh, this week. And so, and so I just really believe that God's going to show up and show out in this. And I believe that we can get in that building debt-free. And some of you may say, well, why is that important? Well, that's important so that we can immediately begin to get to work doing what we need to do in this community. Um, we can immediately divert our, our focus to where it needs to be as we meet needs. And like I said, we want to be... We want to be that church that when someone who is walking a guilty distance from the Lord or someone lost hits rock bottom, that we are the first hand that they see when they finally decide to turn to Jesus. We want to be that for them. We want to build those relationship bridges, and that comes through serving in the community and for the community, right? But in Matthew chapter 6, as we finish today in our, our series on giving, we're going to look finally at the win of giving. The win of giving, not W-I-N-W-H-E-N. When to give. And this is all a question of investment. What and when are you willing to invest for? And so to do that, I've got an illustration. Uh, this is not original. By the way, most of the illustrations that I have are not. Uh, I like what Adrian Rogers said. He said at the beginning of his ministry, he wanted to be original or nothing. And he found out if he was original, he was nothing as well. He was both, right? And so, um, you know, everything is, is uh, every, every illustration and, and thing that God, is, that God gives us, sometimes he just gives it to someone else first, right? And so that's how, that's how that works. But Francis Chan did this, and he, when we talk about the win of giving, we think about it in terms of investment. Now, every one of us in this room understands understands the importance of investing. They understand the importance that one day there's going to be a time in our lives when we're not going to be able to work, we're not going to be able to make the money that we do now, and so we need to prepare for that. We need to invest for the future, right? In the kingdom of God, it's, there, there's the same idea of investing in the kingdom of God, and what does it look like for us as believers to be invested in the kingdom of God? And so I've got this rope here, uh, to, to illustrate time, all right? This rope illustrates time, and what we're going to pretend is this rope just begins here, goes off the stage, and continues wrapping around this room an infinite number of times that this is a never-ending rope, right? Obviously, the rope ends not too far off this stage here, but we're going to pretend for the sake of our illustration that this rope that illustrates time goes on forever, if we're going to understand the win of giving, we need to understand even though right now we are in a physical world and a physical life, we need to understand things the way that God sees them. This little piece of tape right here at the beginning of the rope, in the grand scheme of things, in the, in the lineage of history, this Small little piece of tape at the front of this represents your life here on this earth. Every one of us were created as eternal beings. We will spend eternity 
in one of two places. And so we, as, as believers, right, or as, as people, will spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And so the time that we have in this world is extremely, extremely brief in light of eternity. And what's the whole idea of investing? Investing is looking forward to what you will receive, doing with less, do, making do with less so that you can look forward to what you will see in the future. And the argument that I want to make to you with this illustration is when we see our lives, not the way that we perceive them, right? Because every day we wake up, right? Every day kind of seems longer than the next. You know, we, we say that time flies and it typically does, but we are in this world, right? We are making decisions in a physical world. And sometimes if we're not careful, we view things with physical glasses, physical lenses, and this little small speck of time becomes the most important thing to us. And we see that over and over in our culture. People investing time, effort, and energy into this little bitty speck of time. In, in, in light of eternity, this little bitty speck of time, we can make the most, the absolute most important thing to tell us. We hear things like, he who dies at the end with the most toys wins. Right? That's someone who has a very temporary view of history, view of time. But when we understand that we're going to spend an eternity somewhere, when we're going to spend an eternity somewhere, it just doesn't make sense for us to invest so much time, so much effort, and so much energy into this little bitty sliver of time when we could be using this time to make a difference in all of eternity. And so ask yourself, What makes more sense? What's the wisest choice for us? Is the wisest choice to make our life here on earth the end-all, be-all of everything? And listen, maybe you're saying, well, I'm not just here for me, right? I have my children, okay? Well, we'll we'll give them to this space, all right? We'll give them to here, right? But even if we double this, man, you're talking about an infinitesimal amount of time in light of all eternity, I pray that God gives us an eternal perspective of when we truly need to be making our investment so that we make the greatest impact. And that's done when we see things the way that God sees them. So what about you? What about your your paycheck, right? What about your income? What about your expenditures, Does it look like that you're investing in eternity or does it look more like this small sliver of time? Because we're going to learn today where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Because listen, when we quit investing in the temporary, we find that the benefits are out of this world. See what I did there? Out of this world, right? We're investing in things we can't see. The things that we see, although they're real. That was a joke, by the way. You could laugh at it. Will's the only one that got it. Y'all just think I'm just... Do y'all really think I'm that cheesy? That was super corny. All right. But here's the the deal. I'm a dad, man. I got dad jokes. We've got to quit thinking. Just because we're in this life, and this is the period of time we're in now, we've got to quit thinking 
only about this. This is small thinking. But we got an opportunity to invest and make a difference for all of eternity and for all of time. So in Matthew chapter 6, when we look at the win of giving, the first thing we're going to see is how temporary our treasure really is here on earth. Matthew 6, verse 19, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust can destroy, and where thieves can break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust can destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is Jesus speaking, preaching a sermon on Uh, It's the Sermon on the Mount, and he is giving us very, very practical advice to living your life. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Why? Why is that important? Why is it important uh, for us to think about treasures in heaven over treasures in earth? Because treasures on earth are temporary. They are finite, and they are fleeting, Listen, it's not wrong to have possessions. When you hear a message like this, sometimes you think, well, it's, it's wrong for me to have, uh, drive a nice car or have a nice house or, or have these nice things. Let's be honest, everyone in this room, in, at a global scale, every one of us in this room have nicer things than 97% of the rest of the world, right? We all live lives of luxury, right? And so that's, that's subjective, but it's not wrong to have possessions. But what is wrong is for those things to possess us. Well, how do you know that they're a, they're possession, my possessions are possessing me, right? They have me. What you can't give up, you don't own. It owns you. What you have that you can't give up You don't own it anymore. It owns you. And so a lot of times our possessions and what we've accumulated in this small little speck of time call the shots in our life. Why? Because we can't imagine giving up what we've invested in this little bitty block of time. It's not wrong to have possessions, but it's wrong for those things to possess us. No one, on on the screen, no one can keep temporary things. No one can keep temporary things. I introduced you to my grandfather last week, told you about his food sharing that he does. My grandfather is also pretty thrifty. He takes those solo cups, those temporary solo cups, and he washes them bad boys. Is there anybody else that does that? That's, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but I, 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 I admire the thought all right, I admire the, the effort. I'm just not going to do it. It just requires a lot of work for me. So my grandfather, you'll go to, into his house, and he'll have stacks of solo cups that are like warped and deformed, and you know they're just all kinds of different shapes, and he, and, he, and he keeps them. He doesn't care as long as they hold liquid. He doesn't care until they're no longer able to hold liquid. And so he has these deformed cups that, that look crazy, and you know, everybody's like, what is going on? Well, to come to find out, he's washed these things about 12 times you know he is treating what is temporary like it's supposed to last forever like it's supposed to be permanent and here's the problem those things those cups were never meant to stand the test of time they were meant for one use and in that one use their purpose was complete you can't hold on to temporary things 
It's impossible. Every one of us have an appointment that we must keep. Every one of us has an appointment to die. And so you've heard it said, he who dies with the most toys at the end wins. I would submit to you, he who dies with the most toys at the end is still dead. They're not taking it with you. You've heard it said before, you've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. You don't take it with you, and so you can't hold on to temporary things. And so when you make your life about the temporary, what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for a tragic loss. You're setting yourself up for a tragic loss. We're talking about investment, uh, some in, in our staff and um, how we how we use uh, our retirement and things like that, estate and those sorts of things. And man, it's amazing. Man, I can't even leave everything I have to my kids, right? The government gets a cut of it and a significant cut of it, right? You, we, I just I, there's no way for me to hold on to temporary things. Why? Because they were never meant to be held on to. If you have an eternal perspective, you realize that's not the point of your life is to accumulate as much stuff as you can because one day you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose it all. He is no fool. Jim Elliott, man who was martyred for his faith in the native tribes in Ecuador said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Don't lay up treasures on earth. Why? Because things destroy them. And even if you make it through your whole life with all those things intact, you're going to have to give it up. And what a tragedy. What a tragedy. What a tragedy to see all that you have spent your whole life trying to accumulate on your own power to see it go for not because you're trying to fit temporary things in a spot that was meant for eternity and it just doesn't happen this passage speaks to the heart of us to to our our innermost being who we are on the inside where your heart is there your treasure is it's listen you can look at what you spend your time and your treasure on and it will tell you where your heart really is on this issue. You can say all day long that I'm invested into the kingdom and it's important to me, but if there is a discrepancy between what you're, what you're spending and investing in in this world and what you're investing in in eternity, in eternity, you can say anything you want. Talk is cheap. But we're going to live what we believe. You can say it all day long, but you live what you believe. So let's look secondly at tempting treasure. Tempting treasure. We've seen the temporary treasure. Let's look at how it tempts us. Matthew 6, 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? That's an exclamation point, right? That is, that is an emphatic point. If even the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 
when you read this passage of scripture, you almost think it doesn't belong, right? Because Paul's talking about, or Jesus is talking about the heart, right? Where your heart is, there your treasure is, so don't hold on to temporary things. He comes back, and we'll read in just a moment, right, where he's talking about no one serving two masters. You can't serve God and money, so he's hitting money again. But right here in the middle, we have this talk about the eyes. The eye is the lamp of the body, right? And if you're not careful, you'll read over it, and you'll miss everything that Jesus is trying to communicate through this, because this relates exactly to the area of giving and when we are in making the investment in our life. But he says the eye is the lamp of the body. And so I've got a lantern here, and here's what I want to do. All right, if you would, let me turn this thing on. All right. And guys in the back, if y'all will kill every light in this place, the screens will still be on, I think, just kill everything. The Bible tells us that the eye is the lamp of the body. And with all the darkness that's in this room, every one of us, not just because I'm standing here, but every one of us, listen, if there were toddlers in the room, if there were children, infants in the room, everybody would be drawn to this light. The eye is the lamp of the body. Let's think about it in biblical times. In biblical times, they didn't have flashlights, right? Torches, lamps were how they got along. And so showing them where to go. And so they would carry their lights around. They'd carry their lamps around. And this gave them direction in the darkness. Now, if we truly did shut off every light in this place, turn off this light, and we started trying to do any kind of movement as a group, we'd be all over one another. We'd be everywhere, and it'd be impossible to get around. But with this light, we have direction. In Jesus' day, with the light, with the lamp, they had direction. This is what he says. But when the lamp is bad, the whole body is in darkness. The whole body is in darkness. And how great is that darkness? If even the light within you is bad, how great is that darkness? You can bring the lights up. You see, light, this lamp is a is a tool for our eyes. It gives our eyes direction. We can see where we're going. And I'm just going to be honest with you. We live in a world where it is obvious there's not a lot of people that really can tell where they're going. Right? They are headed in a hundred million direction, none of them leading anywhere productive. Right? We see that in politics. We see that in our government. We see that all over the place. There's just, there's not a direction. Why? Because I believe that our lamp has gone out. If even the light within us, what we look in our life, what we depend on to bring us direction, if it's bad, our whole body is in darkness. And if that's the case, how great is that darkness? If something has your eye, it will eventually have your heart. 
The eyes are the lamp of the body. We use them to see, we use them to find direction, right? They work hand in hand with a lamp to provide light for us to see where we're going in our life. Does your life, does your expenditures, does your investments, does it look like there is a purpose and a meaning behind it? Is the way you parent your kids, does it look like there's a purpose, an eternal purpose or meaning behind it? Or if you looked at that, if you really gave careful consideration and evaluation to where you are and where you're headed and what direction that you're doing, would you say that your eyes are focused on other things? The eyes are the lamp of the body. What are you looking at? What has stolen your attention in life? Listen, this could be a sin. This could be temptation, right? What has your eyes? Because your eyes lead to your mind, which eventually infects your heart. What you look at for long enough what you focus your life and your attention on long enough will eventually have your heart. You say, man, athletics are important to us as a family. It's important. It's a a thing that we do. Brings us together. I've heard all the arguments. We have our devotions. You know, in our travel ball team, we have our devotions on Sunday mornings. All all of those things. When When you talk about the eye being the lamp of the body, When you focus on something that's temporary for long enough, regardless of what it is, it becomes everything you pursue. And so we're willing to give up money. We're willing to give up our uh, church. We're willing to give up Christian fellowship so that we can pursue what is temporary within us. Listen, I, 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 I led teenagers for many years right? You want to talk about something that is dumb as far as just what we focus our life on? There are, there were people in our ministry that their whole life cycle focused around what ranking they were in a video game. And we look at that and we go, you silly kids, right? How, that, that doesn't matter at all, whether you beat the game or not, or you're the best, you know, at whatever video game that you're playing, you can do what it, something that no one else can do in this Right? You build your whole life around a video game. But that's the way the enemy works. We would look at that kid and say, silly little kid, of course that video game is never going to meet tangible needs for you. What I would tell you is if you're focused on something that eventually you're going to have to give up, God is looking at you saying the very same thing. You are trying to meet the greater needs of your lives with things that will not stand the test of time. What are you building your life around? What are you focused on? Because eventually, Satan's end game with sin is not to entertain you. That's how it begins. It begins with entertainment. It begins with an escape. It begins with something that you can control. But Satan's end game isn't to allure you and entertain you. Satan's end game is to destroy you. And if he can have your heart, if he can have those eyes for long enough, 
how great is the darkness in us. Number three, I love this. If something has your eye for long enough, it'll eventually have your heart. Anne Frank said this, talking about focusing on things that, that won't stand the test of time, right? I love what Anne Frank said. No one has ever become poor by giving. That's a good word for somebody in this room. Nobody has ever become poor by giving. That's an, that is liberating, if you think about it. Right? You can't outgive God, and God's going to provide. And instead of p- placing all of our focus on a 401k or all of our focus on a certain tax bracket or all of our focus on a career path or all of our focus on, on a destination for our children, instead of focusing our life on all of those things, if we would understand that the way in God's economy we gain, we gain by losing, no one has ever become poor by giving. Thirdly and finally, let's look at telling treasure. Telling treasure. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and he'll love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We come back, right? We circle back. What are, what are you focusing on? What are you filling your life with? And this is the lie of the world. The lie of the world is, listen, you're a good godly man or woman. You're a good godly man or woman. If God puts something in your path, you're going to pursue it. That's fine and that's great. But in the meantime, I want, you need to pursue financial security. In the meantime, you need to pursue Dot, dot, dot. Whatever else that thing is, happiness or, or, or contentment. So you're a good, godly man or woman, and it's almost like we view the pursuit of temporary things like it's an offshoot of our pursuit of God, right? It's just a detour. We take a detour. It may take us a little longer, but we're going to detour, and we're going to come right back. Well, we need to understand, based on this scripture, you can't serve two masters. And so when you head in a direction that is temporary, you're not segueing from the eternal. You are facing the opposite direction. You are moving away from the eternal. When you allow your temporary pleasures to be more important than what you are investing for in eternity, you have about faced from your progress in the kingdom of God, and you are going the other direction. What it means to be a child of God is not an Americanized view of the gospel. It's not I can pursue God and all these other things. No, it's I pursue God beyond anything else, and everything that I have works toward that pursuit, that direction of my eyes, everything else directs to that point. Is that the way that we truly live our life? That it's not about what we have. And it's not even about what we give. It's about what has us. What has you today? What is the determining factor for the decisions that you make as a family, as an individual? What makes those decisions? No one can serve two masters. They'll hate the one and love the other. 
right? Not a segue, not just a departure a little bit off the path. But if you love one, it means you are hating. The posture of your life is one of hatred toward the other. A pursuit of God is a hatred for the things that are important to this world. And a pursuit of the things that are important to this world is, is, is an a indicator of hatred in an area of our life toward God. You can't serve two masters. And this God and money is what Jesus uses here because this is what he's discussing. But man, you could put anything in this category. I mean, you, you can't pursue God if you're pursuing your career. You can't pursue God if you're pursuing a grade point average. You can't pursue God if you're pursuing a significant other. You can't pursue God if you're pursuing something else. No, that's not the formula. We find out in later, right right after that, immediately after that. Don't worry about your life. Immediately after this text, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're, you're, you're going to wear, where you're going to sleep, what you're going to drink. Don't worry about those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given unto you. Maybe not what you want, but everything that you need will be provided for you. If we put the first thing Truly, the first thing. If we evaluate our life, does our life look like we are putting him first in everything? Does our investments look like we are putting him first in all that we do? This isn't legalism. In fact, this is the most freeing concept that you can ever hear. If you will give your life and your pursuits and your ambitions to the Lordship of Christ, if you will give it to him, everything you need will be provided for you. That is freedom. That is freedom. Everything I have is yours and you will always have more than enough. It's not about what you have, but who it is for that matters. It's not about what you have, but who it is for that matters. God can use anything. The widow's might tells us that. God can use the rich man and he can use the poor man. God can use anyone. But it's not about what you have, it's about who it's for. What is it in your life that you don't possess anymore, it possesses you? Would you surrender that to Jesus today. The world asks, what does a man own? Christ asks, what does he, how does he use it? Right? Andrew Murray, the world asks, what does a man own? That's the most important thing. What do you do? How much you make? What do you own? Christ asks, how does he use what he has? How does he use it? Does he use it for his kingdom or does he use it for the Lord's kingdom? Does he use it for eternity, is he invested in eternity or is his investment in what is temporary? It's a condition of our heart. It's an attitude of our mind. And it is a bending of our will toward the things that matter for eternity. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, 
What does your life look like? Based upon seeing it in the mirror of God's word, which God's word tells us that his word is a mirror. Based upon the mirror of God's word, what does your life look like? What are areas that are non-negotiable that God can't touch for you? Would you surrender that? I'm not telling you that God's leading you to give every bit of money that you have to this seed division, to tithing offerings. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying, what do you have that he can't have? And when you ask that question, you found your idol. And so let's think with spectacles of the Spirit, with the lenses of the Spirit, let's look at our life and let's make it count for something that's going to outlive us. He is no fool that gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And so if you're here in this room and maybe you haven't invested in the kingdom of God because you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know there is a meaning to life that you don't understand because you're outside of the love relationship with Jesus. It's not a compulsion to give. It's a freedom to give. And we give ourselves freely to him. And so maybe you're in here. Maybe you've tried everything to make you happy. Maybe you've tried everything to bring contentment in your life. Maybe you've tried wealth. Maybe you've tried kids. Maybe you've tried relationships. Whatever it is, power, prestige, fame, whatever it is, you've tried everything to bring you happiness. And it's not enough. You are trying to rely on something that is temporary to meet a need that is eternal for you. And I want you to know that Jesus offers that to you freely today. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're the most important person in this room. And we want to give you an opportunity that you can respond in faith and you can surrender your life to Jesus today. It is surrender. It it does require giving up of what you want and your plans and your ambitions and your dreams. But you give it up in order to receive from God a life, a purpose, a meaning that is not worth comparing to anything you could accumulate on your own. And so if you desire that relationship with Jesus today, we want to give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. When I say amen, we're going to have an invitation. We're going to have a time of response. And we've got counselors that will be in the back of the room. In the back left hand, my left hand, your right hand side of the room, there are counselors that would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Jesus. You've tried everything. Now try him. Try Jesus and see what he can do for you and then see how he can use you to bring him glory through the rest of your life. And so if that's you and you don't have a relationship with him, you can respond today. We have counselors would love to talk to you. Maybe you're here and maybe you know that you're a child of God and you surrendered your life to him, but you're, what, you, what you've been investing in doesn't look like that. Maybe there is plenty in your life that has taken first place, taken the throne of your life. And so maybe today, maybe you just need to lay it all at his feet. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. Maybe you need to follow in believer's baptism. 
Maybe, maybe you've made a decision for Christ, but you've never identified yourself with a church body through baptism. We would love to take care of that for you at Lindsay Lane North. Maybe you need to join arms with our church. Maybe you need to join Lindsay Lane North and, and group yourself, rope yourself into a body of believers that's going to encourage you to focus all your attention and energy on things that are eternal. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart, I pray that you would respond. You can make this stage here your altar. You can make your seat your altar. You can sing out. You can respond. We have counselors waiting. You can come to the front. I'd love to receive you. Love to talk to you. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit's leading you to, I pray that you would respond. Father, we thank you for your word. God, it is living and active, and it's active inside of us. And so, Father, we pray that you would receive glory in every one of our hearts. For the one that needs to know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would respond. For the one that needs, uh, God, to surrender, Lord, to a, uh, to a church home, Father, need to, needs to join, I pray that you would give them boldness. God, for the one that needs to follow you in baptism, give them boldness. Needs to rededicate their life, give them boldness. God, I pray for whatever excuse the enemy would give, we bind him from this place, and we pray that we would respond with nothing short of surrender. Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we trust you to move in this place. It's in your holy and precious name we pray.